You know, guys, I'm going to get right into the message this morning. God's really been stirring my heart about something, and we're starting a series called Relationship Realities. This whole month, we're going to talk about relationships because God has given us specific relationships, and these relationships are to benefit us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to build us up, to keep us accountable, to, to you know, knock off the rough edges of our lives, and we're going to talk about things like that all month, but today, I, I was, we were going to go a different direction, and the Lord just spoke to me and, and, and just put this on my heart, and I really feel like it's going to minister to you in a specific way today, and this, this relationship reality is about the reality of the relationship of the church. This understanding that we have that when we have a relationship with God, He doesn't just choose us and adopt us, but He accepts us into the Beloved, which means He puts us in His family. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God places the orphan in family. And, and so the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ, this relationship that we have, this reality is so important. And the reality is that it, it can save us if we realize how, how much we need it and how much it needs us. And so today I want to talk to you around the subject. It's a question. Can you see me? Can you see me? Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. We're reading from the New King James Version. And here's what it says. It says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to say it again. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Some translations say it, the family of faith. So, Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you for this worship experience that we've already had today. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to come into your presence and worship you and sense your anointing and sense your presence over our lives. I just pray, Heavenly Father, for every single person on our online campus, every single family represented on our online campus, that, God, you will minister to them, you'll prosper them, you'll bless them, you'll heal them, you'll help them, God, you'll protect them, and, Lord, you'll mature them in their faith. And I pray, Heavenly Father, right now that as we declare this message, as we speak this message, we teach this word today, that, God, it'll go deep in our hearts, that we'll realize that there's more to the relationship realities as it pertains to the church than what we really realize. Help us to see it today. Help us to know it today. Help us to be it today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Around 1991 or 1992, I was starting or, or involved in my first full-time ministry opportunity. I had, a few years earlier, gotten radically saved. God changed my life, and I began to seek the purpose and will of God for my life, and ultimately, God called me into ministry. And I began to prepare, and I began to study, and I began to spend all of my time in ministry training and, and doing everything I could. I would, I would, I would preach anywhere I could. I would, I would go to nursing homes and preach. I would go to prisons and preach. I would go to, to uh, uh, you know, youth groups of two, three, four, ten, fifteen people and, and preach. I would do anything I could, and somehow uh, word got around that I was 
doing ministry and one of our conference leaders who led the youth ministry of our conference in our denomination asked me to come to camp meeting, which was a yearly conference that we had where all the churches in that conference gathered together. And there was a meeting uh, for youth ministry uh, or for young people. <laughs> and I'll tell you, we were so out of touch back then because it was 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. That's when they had the youth service of camp meeting, which is not very smart. But a lot of people who knew me uh, and had known I had backslidden and I was away from the Lord and then they had heard I'd gotten radically saved and was doing ministry, a lot of my friends from the past, church friends and, 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 and uh, people I knew from around the conference, heard that I would be speaking there and that place at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning that year was packed. And it was really packed not because I was a great speaker because no one ever heard me speak. It was packed because God, people wanted to see what God had done in my life because they knew how far gone I was. And uh, so there was a man there that day that heard the message, and he came to me and he asked me if I'd be his youth pastor. He's a great leader, and I still refer to him a lot in my life. He had a lot of wisdom, but he asked me to come be a youth pastor at his church. He already had a great church. And so when I went to be the youth pastor at church, we had a lot of kids. We started really growing. The youth ministry just boomed, and the kids' ministry boomed, and everything that, that we put our hands to, it seemed like God was just blessing it, and it was purely out of God's grace because we were, you know, really green and naive and didn't know what we were doing, really, but we were just doing everything we could for God, and God started blessing us. So we had a lot of teenagers in the church, and one night, in the middle of the night, I mean, it was absolutely 2 or 3 in the morning, something like that. I was dead asleep, passed out. Janae and I were, we'd probably been, you know, just working our tails off, doing what we could for ministry, and we're just exhausted, and we were just asleep, and all of a sudden, my phone rings, and when the phone rings, I... I uh, jump up out of bed because, you know, as a pastor, when you're a pastor, if your phone rings in the middle of the night or someone shows up at your house in the middle of the night, it, it's usually not good news. It's usually some hard stuff that you're about to have to deal with, and this case was no different. On the other end of that line, I heard a desperate mother crying. I could barely understand what she was saying because she was crying and almost screaming, and she was saying, Pastor David, Pastor David, and this was a mother whose young person, young son, came to our youth group, but she didn't come to our church. She was not a church person, but she knew the connection between her son and me, and she called me and said, please meet us at the hospital. Please meet us at the emergency room. My son has shot himself. So I get up and I put my clothes on as fast as I can and I get in my car and I race towards the hospital and when I get to the emergency room I actually beat them there and the ambulance comes pulling up with him in the back and they get him out on the, the gurney and they bring him into the room and he was screaming and yelling in desperate pain and his leg, he had shot himself in the leg. I was doing my best to understand what was going on because I truly didn't understand how in the world did this kid shoot himself in the leg in the middle of the night, what could have been going on? And then, I, as I talked to his parents, I, they informed me that he was trying to commit suicide, that he had run into his house, 
He'd been at some party or something of that nature. He'd come into his house. His parents were still up watching television. And he went into his room and somehow he had a pistol and it was under the mattress. He grabbed the, the pistol. He ran into the room in front of his whole family, pulled the gun up to his head and was going to shoot himself in the head in front of his whole family. And uh, he couldn't do it. He couldn't actually kill himself. And so to inflict pain, because he was in such turmoil on himself, he shoots himself in the leg. He just pulls the gun down and boom, shoots himself in the leg. Well, the pain was excruciating. He's yelling and he's screaming. And I'm trying to gather my thoughts and understand how could this be. And I want to explain to you why I had to gather my thoughts and think how could this be. Because it would seem apparent, wouldn't it? I mean, if a kid would go that far to do that and do it right there in front of his family, trying to inflict pain not only on himself, but to inflict pain on his parents and his siblings in the home. Something had to be desperately wrong. Something had to be off in a significant way. And I was trying to get my mind around it, and so I just, I just stopped and I prayed. I just started praying for him, and I prayed for his family, and we got through that night. And he started recovering. And I started thinking back. Now, why wouldn't I know that this kid was in trouble? Why wouldn't I know that here the 17-year-old young man was so desperate. He's in my youth group, been in my youth group for three years. How would I not know? It made no sense to me. And I, I mean, honestly, I still think back on it and think, how did I not see? And because uh, this kid was the life of the party. I mean, every time we had a get-together, he was there. Every time we had church, he was there. He was always laughing and cutting up and he was always having fun, and everybody always had fun with him. He was just the life everywhere he went. He had energy. He was excited about life, and he was always having fun. And, and it, it, just, it just made no sense. It was such a contradictory thing. It was so ironic that this kid, who we all knew as the life of the party, was now in a desperate situation as he was. And I started thinking back that just a few weeks before, he had been in a bad car wreck. It was just his truck on the side of the road and all of a sudden I realized he was trying to kill himself then he he had gotten drunk and he was trying to hurt himself and we all just thought it was an accident and I and then I started remembering other little things but it just didn't dawn on us because when he was in front of everybody he never acted as if he was down he never he never put a bad foot forward he always was fun and up and energetic and I didn't realize that all he was doing was trying to overshadow his own personal insecurities by being the life of the party so no one would know how crushed and devastated he was on the inside to the degree that he would literally do what he did and as I begin to think about this message today this is a story that came to my mind some of you've heard me tell that story before but what I want you to understand about it is that we didn't see it why why didn't we see it well partially because he wouldn't let us see it Maybe because he didn't feel safe enough. Maybe because he didn't feel like we would understand. Or maybe he felt like we didn't care enough. Or maybe we were just too busy doing the things we were doing to try to do ministry that we didn't notice that he was really, truly messed up. Why didn't we see him? No, I, we saw him, but why didn't we see him? 
We saw the picture that he was putting forward, but why didn't we see him? We saw the, the pretend person, but we didn't see the real person. Why? Well, a lot of it was because of his own insecurities. A lot of it was because of his own pretension. But some of it had to have been because we weren't looking. Do you know what we found out? We started investigating. Why would he do this? And we started asking questions. And you know what we found out? We found out he was 17 years old. And he had pretended and he would made like he could. And he would acted like he could. But the young man couldn't read. He couldn't read. This is why he had gotten to this place. Because what had happened was... Every year, because he was such a boisterous kid and he was so, you know, maybe getting in trouble all the time and ornery, and, but everybody loved him, that people would just pass him on and pass him on and pass him on. But he never really learned to read. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? You could learn to read. That may be true, but when you're 17, 18 years old and you don't know how to read and all your friends are preparing for college and all your friends are starting out on their life and you're sitting here thinking, what is my life going to be worth? What am I going to be able to have? How can I take care of my family? What am I going to be able to do? It affected him in that way, literally at a crisis of purpose, a crisis of identity. He had no clue what to do and he just, it built up in him until he couldn't take it anymore and he wanted to kill himself. He wanted to die. So once we did see it, we did something that, that the church should do. We became the family of faith around him. And my wife, being a teacher, she wasn't even a teacher then, but it was always been in her to teach. And she said, I'm going to teach this kid how to read. So every night he would come over and we'd, we'd, we'd give him food and then Janae would teach him how to read. And over several months, he began to learn how to read. And he was a very smart kid. He just needed someone to take the time to teach him and train him. And because he'd been covering up all this time, he didn't think he could learn. And because he'd been acting all this time, he didn't think anything could change. But he started getting hope. And that young man today, he's really not that young because we were so young when we started He's in his 40s right now. He's got a family. He's serving God. They're serving God. And it changed his whole world. Why? What ultimately changed his world? What ultimately changed his world is finally we saw him. We saw him. The thing that is so powerful about the church, the thing that is so powerful about the family of faith, it's the opportunity to be seen. It's the opportunity to come and, and bear your soul. It's the opportunity to be in a safe environment where you are loved and you're given grace. And oh yes, there have been people in church life who've been judgmental and God forgive us. And there have been people who've been hard-hearted and God forgive us. There have been people who've been self-righteous and looked down their nose at other people as if they'd never committed a sin in their whole life and everybody else was impure. I know that there have been people like that in their church, but let's face it, there are people like that in life. But that doesn't mean that the church itself and the realities of the relationships that we have in the church aren't the benef beneficial to us and what God really intended for us, a place where we could be seen, a place where our heart could be open, a place where we could pour out our soul and we could say, look, I'm hurting. I don't, I don't want to pretend anymore. I'm not going to put on a face anymore. This very idea of hypocrisy is much of the problem. Now, we think of hypocrisy of people who are maybe call themselves Christians but don't live like Christians. We think of hypocrisy as people whose words don't match up with their life. 
But hypocrisy goes much further than that. And many of us are guilty of hypocrisy. And it's one of the reasons that we're not being seen. It's one of the reasons we can't find help. Because hypocrisy literally comes from the word hypa in the Greek, which simply means to speak from behind a mask. We wear masks and we don't want people to really know how we hurt or what we go through. But the reality of the relationship with the church is that we do have a place where we can go. We have a place where we can find friends and and not just a friendly place, but a place that will give us lifelong friends, really family, really, that comes alongside us and holds our hands and walks with us. And even when they understand or when they don't understand, they still love and care and give mercy and give grace and have accountability. It's just a beautiful thing if we would understand it. And my question is to everyone here today, we, we are in one of two categories in the church today. And that is this, we're either hurting and need healing or we're healed and need to help the hurting. That's the two categories that are, that are watching online church today. You're in online church today. You're either hurting and need healing or you're healed and need to help the hurting. And the thing about the coming together of the church is it's this symbiotic relationship where together we can help each other up. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've been up here and healed and whole and walking in victory. And other times in my life where I've been down and hurt and devastated. But it, it's the thing in life, in the family of faith, where when you're up, you can help somebody else up. And when you're down, somebody can help you up. It's just a beautiful relationship if we'll understand the reality of it. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, it tells a story about Jesus, and it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. He said, I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see, what you, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Listen, there was no more invisible place in society in that time than to be a, a leper in a Jewish community or a Jewish city. Because lepers were literally cast out now when we say leper it's not the disease of leprosy per se but it would be considered the word leprosy is used to describe or define any of these skin diseases and many of these skin diseases that happened at the time were contagious very contagious and 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 so you know that it would it would deform you and it would it would deface you and it would it would just steal everything from you so here you are in society maybe you have a family you have a business you have friends and all of a sudden you see a a spot on you you have to go to the priest and the priest puts you through a process to find out is this just a little blemish on your skin or is this the beginnings of something really horrible and if it turns out that it is horrible then you're not allowed to go home and, and tell your family. You're not allowed to go home and say goodbye to your friends. You're not allowed to pack up your business and, and hand it over to someone else. They just take you from the temple and they take you outside the city and they say, you have to stay out here. And if your family wants to feed you, they're going to have to get food to you some way and we'll do what we can to help you. But you can't be around people and you can't 
uh, uh, interact with people in the city. And the only other people you can interact with are other lepers, people who are also diseased and hurt and, and don't know what to do with their life. That's the only people you can connect with. So talk about being invisible. Have you ever felt invisible? Have you ever felt like things were going on in your life and nobody knew? Have you ever felt like nobody sees you? Uh, matter of fact, sometimes you feel like that way in church. Have you ever felt that way in your own home? I, I promise you there are times that your spouse feels that way. There are times you feel that way. There are times your kids feel that way. It's the human condition that sometimes we're hurting and sometimes we're devastated and we just think no one sees no one cares. We translate no one sees to no one cares. Now, the sad part is that many times, many times we, we think no one sees because they just don't care. And the truth is that, that no one sees because we won't let them see. Because we're pretending everything is okay. And we're acting as if we're going to be just fine. And we're trying to carry our burden all alone. But that's the thing about the reality of the relationship of the church is that you never, ever have to carry your burden alone. You never, ever have to be invisible. It's like when you're drowning. You, 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 if, you, if you were drowning, what happens to people when they're drowning? They're, they hold their hand up. They try to get someone's attention. Listen, don't just sink, but lift your hand up and let someone know, hey, I'm drowning over here. I need some love. I need some grace. I need some help. Help me walk through this. Help me get beyond this. And I'm telling you, that's when the church runs to the rescue. We will see you and we will help you. That's what the church says. I love this passage of scripture because when Jesus came down, he was teaching. And, you know, he was so important to so many people. And people said he talks like no one else talks. And he has authority like no one else has authority. And he's just an unbelievable teacher and rabbi. And we're just going to follow him. But when he came down, there was a leper there. And I'm sure the leper was standing off. And lepers had to do something in particular when crowds would get close. They had to yell out, unclean, unclean, because they had to let everybody know we're here and you can't get close to us. The thing I love about Jesus is this man came to him. He said, I've heard about you. And I know that if you're willing, you could heal me. This man had hope. This man saw his answer. He saw his solution. He waved his arms. He wanted, he saw his solution. Now he wanted his solution to see him. And when he let Jesus know he needed help, I love what Jesus said. Many, many accounts of this say that Jesus touched him. This is not, this is something you did not do. If, if you were a common person, you didn't do it, but especially if you were a spiritual leader, you didn't touch that because that would make you unclean and you'd have to go through the process of being cleansed. Never touch it. But here's the thing. Jesus knew that his touch would heal. And we need to understand that today, church, when you're up and when you feel like you're seen and when you feel like everything is whole in your life, you need to understand there are people on that row next to you. There are people in that small group sitting across from you. There are people in that house you live in that eat dinner with you every night that need you to see their hurts, that need you to help them. And I love it. He said, if you want to. You can heal me. And Jesus said something so powerful. He said, I want to. I, I, I love the reality of the relationship of the church because we are the manifestation of Jesus in this place today. His Holy Spirit leads us and we become his hands and feet. So when people are hurting, what does the church do? What is the church supposed to do? We're supposed to not be afraid to touch it. We're supposed to not be afraid to help. We're supposed to not be afraid to heal. 
Uh, we can hear people saying, I know you could help me if you wanted to. Well, what everyone needs to hear is they need to hear the resounding, I want to. I want to help you. I'm willing to help you. I want to walk by your side. I want to hold your hand through this. I want to pray with you. I want to help you and support you and encourage you and lift you. It's, it's so important that we understand that's the reality of the church. The church is a place where, not where a bunch of perfect people get together. <laughs> Man, if that's true, I, I shouldn't be leading because I'm not even close to perfect. But the truth is, is church is not a, a, a place where a bunch of perfect people get together. A bunch of healed people get together and talk about their wholeness. It's a place that's more like a hospital where people who are hurting, people who are hurting spiritually and physically and relationally and financially and emotionally can come together and we can lift one another and we can strengthen one another. I say it again, I want you to hear it. There are two types of people in the, the life of the church. People who are hurting and need to be healed and people who are healed and need to help the hurting. And we need to remember what that text that we started with says. It says that we should do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. You know, sometimes I think we forget that we're reaching out so much, and we do reach out a lot. And we outreach to our community, and we outreach to our nation, we outreach to our world, and we pray and we seek God for all of those things. But sometimes we forget that the person who needs us most is sitting right down the road from us. The person who needs us most is online campus with you right now. That, that, that they need your prayer and they need you to lift them up and they need your encouragement. Uh, th th sometimes we forget it's the very people that we do life together as the church that need us the most. And that's where our generosity should begin. It's not to say that we don't want to reach out. It's not to say that we don't want to touch other lives outside those people who call Summit Church their home or call Jesus their Lord. There are people that need to be reached and touched and blessed outside. But where it should start is with our brothers and sisters in the faith whether they're right here on the pew of the church with you, whether they're on online church with you, or whether they're a brother and sister in faith in Africa, or a brother and sister in faith in Asia, or a brother and sister in faith in, in, in Canada, or South America, or wherever it may be. We, we need to understand that we have family all over the place, and it starts with us loving those in the family of faith, being generous to those in the family of faith. And you know why it starts there? Because how can we truly love those who aren't in the family of faith if we don't first love those who are in the family of faith? The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He said. He replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And, and reply, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. So to a Levite 
when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. When I read this passage of Scripture, it causes me to realize that you can see somebody, but not really see somebody. I want you to think about what the man must have felt. You know, I, I've preached this many times, but I've never taken this perspective. And, 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 and I've heard a lot of preachers preach this, but I've never heard anybody take this perspective. What did the man feel like? This man had been abused. This man had been misused. He'd been mishandled. He'd been treated bad. He'd been stolen from and beat up and left half dead. He must have felt when he heard people going by that no one saw him. He must have thought, here I am laying in the road, beaten and bruised and, and, and devastated and have nothing left, and everyone is just walking by me. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I've felt like that. I have felt at times in my life that I was all alone. I've felt times in my life that there wasn't anything that anybody cared about. There wasn't, that, that, that people look at my situation and didn't see me, didn't really know. I felt invisible. I felt like, why doesn't someone see? Why doesn't someone care? Why won't someone help me? And I know you felt the same way. You felt like, I, I know, I'm around people. Why don't they get it? Why don't they see it? And sometimes people will say, well, you've got to tell. And you do have to tell. But let's just be honest. Sometimes you don't feel like you can. Sometimes you don't know what to say. Sometimes you think, man, if I say this, I'm going to be embarrassed. Or if I tell somebody how I'm really feeling, they're going to think I'm not strong or that I'm weak or that I can't handle my own problems or that I can't deal with the issues of life. And I don't want people to think that. Can I just tell you today, stop that thinking. That is a lie of the devil. The reality, the relationship realities about the church are this. We are here to help. And when I say we, I'm not talking about the institution of the church. I'm talking about what makes up the church, the called out ones, the believers that come together to worship God. We, as a church, as a family of faith, are here to help. Don't let pride lie to you and say no one will trust you or no one will believe you or no one will help you or no one cares about you. Every time you think that thought, you need to understand you're being lied to. And if you set your mind on that lie and start believing that lie, then the devil will build a stronghold in your life and he will convince you that the church doesn't love you and that the church doesn't care and that no one sees you and you're invisible and who cares about you anyway? And you'll build up a wall that will make the situation worse. And you'll isolate yourself. But you know what? There's no need for that. Because the relationship realities about the church are this. That God put us together for a purpose. God put us together for a reason. And this man, he must have felt small and insignificant. He must have felt like he wasn't worth anybody's time. He must have felt like no one cares that I've been abused this way. But there was somebody. Who did? The priest let him down because the priest was too busy doing his stuff, his priestly duties, and he thought, well, it's going to set me back. If I go touch him, I'll be unclean. I'll have to go through this process. I can't do that. I've got to go take care of my ministry. How, how ridiculous. 
And the Levite who knew the word and knew everything the word had to say and was a person who of the law and he understood the law and he saw the man. These men saw him. They saw him laying there. They saw him in his devastation. And I don't particularly think these were bad people. I don't think they were bad people just saying, ah, who cares about a man laying in the street that's been beat up and bruised? Who cares? I don't think that was their thinking at all. I think if that would be, had been their thinking, that would have the Bible would have told us that. I think that they were just, it was too much of an inconvenience. I think they thought, I don't have time. They thought, somebody else will help him. They thought, somebody else can touch him. But they didn't realize the realities of the relationship of the church. They didn't realize that what God intended for the church to be was not some institution that always marched to the same drum, but it was supposed to be a hospital that was willing to heal people any moment, any time, anywhere at a drop of a hat, and they would drop the hat. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the church is supposed to be that force of the Holy Spirit that comes to rescue. The church is that lifesaver that is thrown to the drowning man. The, the church is that, 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 you know, the church is, 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 is not like a, a, a cruise ship. The church is like a coast guard ship that's looking for people lost in the storm and ready at any moment to save them from their death and their peril. That's what the church is. And that's exactly what happened. We can see people. We can see people, but not really see them. I think that we're, we're so full of stuff today. We're so busy going about, running about, doing our thing that one of the reasons we see people but don't really see them is because we haven't asked the Holy Spirit to show them, show us. We haven't asked the Holy Spirit to cause us to be sensitive. I mean, there are people you work with that you sit by every day. There are people you work with that you talk to every day. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. You know, there are believers that you set by. You know, older married couples that your relationship is good and God has blessed you. You need to be looking down that pew, letting your eyes, you know, you know look around the church. You need to be looking at people on the online campus there. You need to be checking out other marriages in your world and saying to yourself, God, help me to be sensitive. Who could we help? What young couple could we help that maybe they're on the verge maybe they don't think they can make it anymore maybe they need help and they won't say anything maybe they need a desperate you know maybe you just go by and say hey how you doing maybe you just go by and say how's it really going in your world don't just see them but really see them I want you to look at what this man did he saw him and he took pity on him he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. He really saw him. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 through 3 in the New Living Translation says this. Share each other's burdens. He's talking to the church. Share each other's burdens. In this way, obey the law of Christ. If, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. <laughs> Boy, the word sometimes can hit you where it hurts. The truth is, we need to see each other. The truth is, we need to understand that as a part of the church, 
being the church, our role is to see and help. Our role is to care. And not just for the lost sinner, but for the hurting saint. Not just for those who are outside the family, but for those who are inside the family. Start inside the family. It doesn't mean that we only care for ourselves as a family. We also want to reach out, but it it does mean that we do care. We don't just come to church like cattle all come in and as soon as the message is over, all go out. It doesn't mean we stop at a church service or a worship experience. We go to a small group. We go to school of the Bible. We get in uh, relationships and friendships with people. We mentor others, older with younger and younger with older. We, 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 we train one another. We love one another. We help each other. We intercede for one another. But in order to do that, you've got to really be like family. You've got to connect. And so I'm going to give you five ways that we learn from this parable that Jesus told. I'm going to give you five ways really quickly to really see someone. The first way is this. Don't just see them, really see them. Learn to stop looking past people. Learn to stop just saying, hi, how you doing? And they say, great. And you say, fine. And that's it. That's the end of the conversation. Learn to look them in the eye. Learn to ask questions. How's things going in your world? Tell me more about that. Help me understand. Hey, man, I'm going to be praying for that. Do you know in all the years of ministry, at any time, even with, even with people who were sinners and never even in church, maybe even atheists, if they were going through something, I was talking to them and I asked them to pray, if I would pray for them. Never, not one time in 30 some odd years have I been turned down to pray for someone. I can promise you if you're talking to somebody when you're at church and you, and you just notice something, maybe their countenance is off or they just don't look right or something seems to be wrong in their heart or their life and they just don't seem right. Maybe you should just talk to them and say, hey, can I pray for you? Is there something I can pray for you for? Don't look past people. Then if you really want to see them, you need to let your observation become participation. This is something God's been dealing with us as a church at large uh, in, in the last few weeks. And we really believe God's saying to us, it's time to stop observing and start, it's time to start participating. It's time to stop thinking and start acting it's time to start stop talking and start doing and so let your observation become participation these other two men the priest and the levite saw him they saw his plight but they didn't participate in his healing the second thing is have compassion for them have compassion let let me explain to you what compassion is compassion isn't just feeling sorry for but it's being so moved by empathy that you're compelled to act. It's being so moved by the care you have for someone else that you have to do something about it. You you, you have a loved one in the church that maybe they're not doing well financially and you hear about it. Listen, don't just talk about it. Don't just ask about it. Do something about it. You don't have to wait for somebody to give you permission or wait for somebody to say what to do. You might want to ask a pastor what's going on or something like that. But I'm telling you, you can act. You can help. You can move. Let your compassion move you. So many times when we saw Jesus doing different things in the Bible, it would first say he moved. He was moved with compassion. He healed someone or he raised someone from the dead. He was moved with compassion. A deep inward feeling of care and concern. I see it. 
And I cannot just see it, but I must do something about it. The third thing is get in their space. Now, I know sometimes when people are hurting, they can be like a hurt animal that they feel cornered. And so you have to be patient and you have to be loving and you have to be filled with grace because if they strike out at you because they're afraid or they have insecurities, you have to be willing to forgive and get over that and help them anyway. And that happens in the body of Christ. And sometimes instead of going ahead and being unconditionally loving, we get offended and we walk away. And that's not what we were built for. And that's not the relationship realities of the church. The relationship realities of the church say, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to care for you no matter what. And it doesn't mean it, love like that doesn't mean I, I'm going to allow you to do anything. It means I'm going to help you and even hold you accountable if necessary to help you get beyond this. I'm going to heal your hurts. I'm going to bind your wounds. I'm going to love you in spite of. Get in their space. I remember a few years ago, I had a friend that they went through a really hard battle and we started to rush in to help them and they shoved us back. I mean, they said, listen, they called us and literally this is what they said. Don't approach us. We, we don't want help. We don't need anybody. We, we just want to be alone. I knew this was wrong. I knew this wasn't the right thing to do, but I didn't know what else to do, so I did. I just stepped back. And later, later, they resented us for it, that we didn't push through their defenses and that we didn't come to their rescue. And you know, you can't always do that, and it's not always appropriate to do that. But don't just take no for an answer. Don't just give up when someone's hurting because you know what it's like when you're hurting. You don't, you don't know what to say. You don't know how to feel. And sometimes you don't act right. And it's up to us, more mature believers, that we realize the reality of our role in our relationship with other believers. That we're not to get upset and mad and angry and unforgiving. But we're to wade through all those feelings and all those emotions and just maybe there's nothing to say. Maybe you just put your arm around them. And maybe you just hold them. And maybe you just let them know you're not alone in this. I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I know it's a failure. I know it's a problem. I know it's sin. But it's going to be okay. You know why it's going to be okay? Because we're not going to let you drown. We're not going to give up on you. We're not going to quit when you need somebody in your corner. Get in their space. Don't stand back. Don't wait on someone else to do it. Don't hope it gets better on its own. Don't take a close look and be too afraid to find out. Take a close look. Get in there. And don't be afraid to find out what's really going on so you can help. There's far too much cursory relationship in the church. I'm going to say this, and I mean it with all my heart. We have a loving church, and we're so hospitable. And everyone says, this is such a kind and loving church. But can I tell you something? The truth is we need to go deeper. That's why small groups are so important to us is because I, I want every single person who calls Summit Church home to be in a small group because we've got to go past just cursory relationships of hi, how are you? And we've got to get in each other's lives so that we can help and we can lift. You know what? I want people praying for my kids just like I want to pray for people's kids. I want people there for me that maybe when my kids won't listen to me, Somebody else of influence in their life in the church can speak to them and they'll, they'll be heard. Listen, I, I'm telling you, God wants us to pursue the depth of who he created us to be as the church. 
The fourth thing is act on your compassion. Go to work. Get to it. How? Well, you start by empathizing. Start by caring. Start by seeing when someone's hurting. And you know the Bible talks about rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. You know, sometimes you don't have a solution. Sometimes you can't fix it. But you can feel with them. You can empathize with them. You can just sit there and say, man, I get it. Man, I know. It must hurt. I know that feels bad. I hope I can help it. I hope I can pray for you. I, I'm going to believe God to change your situation. We, we can do it by prayer and proximity. Cover their cuts. Just like this man, this Samaritan, he covered his cuts. He bound up his wounds. He, we, can, we can pray for them and we can get close to them and don't have to be standoffish. A lot of times in the church, people don't want to invade other people's space so they're standoffish or they don't know what to say or do so they're standoffish. Listen, if it's no more than put your arm around somebody, if it's no more than pray a prayer, if it's no more than hold a hand, whatever it is, be the family of faith and let's hold each other up and let's be healed and let's heal others. Let's be led by the Spirit to help cleanse their wounds. Anytime you see oil in the Bible, it's a representation of the Holy Spirit. So just like this man poured oil on those wounds to cleanse them, let the Holy Spirit use you to cleanse the wound. Don't wallow with them. Don't worry with them. Don't withdraw with them. Don't get offended with them. But walk them through the healing process, uh, uh, which which means you might possibly have to do the fifth thing. And the fifth thing and last thing that this Samaritan did is he carried them and he cared for them. He didn't just say, hey, I want to help you. He put him on his own animal and took him to safety. Listen, sometimes people can't stand on their own. Sometimes people need help. Sometimes they need help walking and they need help running and they need help in being encouraged and they need help to be lifted and they can't seem to they can't can't seem to motivate on their own they can't seem to get over the problem they need somebody to come alongside and give them courage and give them strength so we need to do two things we need to commit to care excuse me we need to commit to carry we need to commit to be there for them that if they can't do it on their own we'll do it for them until they can do it on their own and then we'll commit to care. We'll commit to care. We'll commit to understand their situation. We'll commit to go the extra mile. We'll commit to do what's necessary. You know, what is the law of Christ? When Jesus was talking to this lawyer who was trying to trip him up, he said, what does the law say? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. And, and, and if doing good to others starts in the household of faith, then we need to look around for opportunities to help our brothers and sisters. Do you know what I see as the reality of the relationship of the church? Here's what I see. I see a house that is so full of life that it feels like family. I see a house that is so loving that there's no need to pretend. It's so caring that you don't have to put on a face. You don't have to act like a super spiritual person. You can be who you are at the level you are and know that you're going to grow. We believe this. We believe that God accepts you just like you are, but He loves you too much to leave you like you are. And He uses the body of Christ to help you grow and help you develop. I see a house where it's safe to do that, to be yourself. I see a house that's so empathetic that everyone knows 
they're cared for. That when you come in this house, you know you're cared for. When you go to a small group, you know people care. When you come into church to worship, you know that you're cared. That not only God cares for you, but His people care for you. I see a house where hurts can be healed. I see a house where wounds can be bound, where pain can be eased, and spiritual, emotional, mental, relational, and financial miracles can happen. I see a house where we see each other, where we really see each other, and where we're not afraid, we're not afraid to be seen by each other. The relationship reality of the family of faith is that we need each other and that we have each other and that we will help each other. You should do good to all, Paul said, especially to those of the household of faith. Today, lift your brother, lift your sister. Today, drop the pretense and don't pretend and just let God heal your hurts Bind up your wounds and give you the care for your soul that you need and realize that he's going to use his people to do it. No more hiding in the corners. No more stepping back from responsibility. But let's get compassionate and take action on our compassion. No more observation, only participation. We are chosen we are adopted, and we are accepted in this beautiful, wonderful, magnificent family of God where there's two kinds of people, those who need to be healed and those who are healed and want to heal others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for your family. We give ourselves in surrender to your will, we just pray for hurts to be healed and wounds to be bound and maturity to happen and growth to happen and that Lord we'll really see we'll really see you we'll really have a revelation of who you are and we'll really see ourselves who you want to be in us and we really see others not for what they pretend to be but what's really going on in their life and we really see how we can help let us be your hands and your feet first to our brothers and sisters in Christ and then to the world. In Jesus' name.